So Matthew chapter 7, we're getting into uh, Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to touch on verse number 1, probably one of the most misapplied scriptures in the Bible. Easily one of the most misunderstood and misapplied scriptures in the Bible. So Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, says, Judge not that you be not judged. One of the interesting things is sometimes you can look, and I don't advise this, but you can look on social media and you can see like little caricatures of this verse and they'll take all of Matthew chapter 7 and scribble it out and then just circle judge not. And you can almost hear somebody say, you know, well, you, you're not supposed to judge me. You're not supposed to judge me, right? Have you ever heard somebody say that before? You're not supposed to judge me. Well, what exactly is the Lord meaning? Well, when you look at the context of Matthew chapter 7, the Lord's not saying don't judge, period. The actual context is don't judge in a manner in which you don't want to also be judged. In other words, don't be more harsh than you want someone to be harsh on you. Amen? So if you're, going to, if you're going to apply a standard to somebody in judging them, make sure you can wear that belt as well. So when you say, well, you know, it's just the flu. You need to be at church. Make sure when you, you know, aren't feeling well, you're going to be able to do that same thing, Right? So you have to be compassionate. But what is the Lord talking about? He's talking about judging with righteous judgment. So we want to just look at this tonight in Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to go to a specific instance on how we're going to apply this. So judge not, right? Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. And with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. So right there, the Lord is implying that there is a way in which you'll judge. But just be careful because however you do that, it's going to come back to you. And so the important thing to see in this is when, when people are not living right, when people aren't you know, walking with the Lord and they have things in their life that they're not ready to give up to Jesus. And how many of you know that there should be nothing in our life that we're not ready, willing, and able to give up to Jesus? A, a, a righteous person is someone whose heart is sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And when it is revealed that there's hypocrisy in us, or it's revealed that there's error in us, we are ready, willing, and able to say, Lord, I don't want that. I'd rather have you. I would rather have you. You are the spirit of truth. And I would rather have you than, you know, whatever hypocrisy there is in my life or whatever sin or whatever error there is. And so the heart behind it is um, to understand that when, when someone is not where they need to be, they'll take this verse and they will do what we call, they'll misapply it. They'll say, well, you can't judge me. You can't judge me. Well, yes, we can. We just can't judge you in a way that we don't want to be judged. Are you hearing me? 
Yes, we can judge you. We just cannot judge you in a way we don't want to be judged. How do we judge people? We hold them to the standard of Scripture. We don't hold them to our standard. We don't hold them to a denominational standard. We don't say, well, that's how it was when I grew up, and that's what you need to do. We don't hold them to those kinds of standards because those standards are made of men. The standard we hold people to is the one that is found in Scripture, right? It is in God's holy word. That's the standard. And as you go through the context of Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is even telling you how to judge a false teacher. He said, you'll know them by their fruit. Well, if you're going to know somebody by the fruit of their life, wouldn't you have to judge whether the fruit's good or bad? So the context of Matthew 7 just kind of wipes out that whole situation. But when people are ignorant of the word of God, they'll use this scripture on people and they'll say you can't judge me you can't judge me for not going to church you can't judge me for this sin in my life you can't judge me for you know harboring bitterness or resentment or unforgiveness you can't judge me just because i go to the bar and i get lit you can't judge me because i have this problem that uh, this addiction that i have you can't well yes we can we can judge you with the righteous standard of god's word Okay, we're not judging you in any other way except for God's word, because that's what we are judged by. We are judged by God's word. And so in turn, how do we handle those situations? So I want to take that with that kind of a foundation. And I want to show you how this actually kind of transpired in real time in the apostles life. Because how many of you know, whenever two people get in a room at some point or another, there's going to be a disagreement especially on Facebook. But in, in real time, when you get in a situation with people, there's going to be a situation where somebody does something that rubs you the wrong way, and we need to make sure that we're handling our situations according to Scripture. Are you with me? And so with that said, let's go over to Galatians chapter 2, and we're going to look at that situation where the apostle Peter and the apostle Paul had a running in. They had a running in. So as we're turning over there, just a little bit of background. Most of the time, whenever you hear someone say, don't judge me and all this kind of stuff, it honestly has zero to do with the truth. It's because they're using that scripture to cover their sin, right? And if anybody could have, it, the situation we're about to read, you, you would honestly get it right there. But whenever you're talking about judging truth and whether something is false or not, you look at false teachers and false teachings, sometimes people say, you shouldn't be getting into that. You shouldn't be worried about false teachers. Well, how many of you know that Jesus dealt with false teachers? Over and over and over, he rebuked the Pharisees for what? Their false teaching. Isn't it amazing how if you stand and you say, well, that's a false teaching, people will come out of nowhere to criticize you for doing the exact same thing that Jesus did. And you might say, well, that's Jesus. Well, yeah, but he's in us. Don't you know that Christ in us is the hope of glory? If you're saved and filled with the Holy Ghost, you got Jesus in you. Are you better? He said, if, if you're his, that he and the Father would make their abode in you. 
And so here's the deal. When, when you begin to get into things and you begin to discern right from wrong, this is true, this is not true, and you begin to contend against things, people will come out of the woodwork to tell you you're being a, you're, you've got a critical spirit, you're not doing this right, you're just supposed to talk about good things, you're not supposed to talk about how that line is crooked. But God calls us. God calls us to do exactly that. How do we know? Jesus did exactly that. When the Pharisees weren't walking right with God, Jesus called them out on it. And all of the disciples did the exact same thing too. So here we see in Galatians chapter 2, we're going to look at this disagreement between Peter and Paul. So Galatians 2, beginning in verse 11, just slight background, who's Peter, who's Paul? So Peter is one of the original disciples. Peter spent the three over three years with Jesus in ministry. He slept where Jesus slept. He ate with Jesus. They, they lived together. I mean, if anybody had a, hey, I know the Lord, it's him. If anybody had, you know, that kind of bragging right, if anybody had anything like that, it would have been Peter because, look, I know, don't tell me you know Jesus, I know Jesus. If anybody could have done it, it would have been him. He was one of the first ones. And we know his personality as it comes out through Scripture. If anybody could have said that, it would be him. He, now, not only that, but it was Peter who got the revelation that Jesus was the Christ. And Jesus said, on this rock, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. And he said he was going to give the keys of the kingdom to Peter, and some people don't understand what that means, but you know that Peter was the first one that preached under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. Peter was the first one to preach under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost to the Jews, right? To the Jews. But do you know he was also the first one to preach to the Gentiles? The, and the gospel was supposed to go first to the Jew and then to the Gentile, and God used Peter to do both. God used Peter to open the door to the Jews on the day of Pentecost. And then the day he went to Cornelius' house, God used Peter to likewise open the door to us Gentiles. So God used Peter in a profound way. He actually was a rock that God used for the church to, to grow and, and how that all played out. So Peter is a fixture of the church. And the, probably one of the main apostles in the Bible. Would you agree with that? Amen. So here comes Paul. Paul is the aggressor. He's the one that can't stand it. He's a Pharisee of the Pharisees, a, a, a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin. He is uh, set at the feet of Gamaliel. He knew the law frontwards and backwards, and he was a persecutor of those that followed the way, which is Christians. And so Paul is the apostle out of time. He got saved on the road to Damascus. He says, and he describes himself, and we all take exception, right? But he says, I'm the chief of all sinners. And anybody that probably did what he did would say the same thing, but we do too. And so our hearts melt for Paul, and then we see his heart because he was the apostle of the Gentiles, but he had a bad past. He had a bad past because he actually persecuted and put his coat to Christians being killed, an extreme persecutor of the brethren. And yet God saved him on the road to Damascus and God, you know, instructed him at, at Antioch and then he became an apostle 
And now we see the situation where this young apostle, this up-and-coming guy who hasn't been following the Lord as long as Peter kind of takes issue with him. So it's kind of like, you know, somebody that's new on the job correcting the mechanic that's been there for 17 years. It's like, you can kind of hear that situation in that garage. That mechanic's going to say, son, you're not going to tell me what to do. I've been doing this far too long. I've done paid my, you know, I've got stripes on this belt. You're not going to tell me. I'm going to tell you this is how we do it. Don't, you know, this is how we do it here. You can do that somewhere else. That, that kind of thing goes on in society. But when it comes to the church, what is that? That's pride. And the thing that I love the most about what we're about to read is you get to see how this, how true Christians handle an issue where somebody's pride is stepped on. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like it when my pride gets stepped on. It's not a good feeling. Amen. But then the Holy Spirit says, well, you're not supposed to have that, son. And you go, oh, yeah, yeah. But the very first feeling is, hey, don't do that to me. And then the Holy Spirit comes and whispers, son, it's not about you. It's about the Lord. And you're not supposed to have any pride, right? And so there's this whole, this, this whole thing playing out, and you see it very, played out very good right here. So we're going to begin in verse, did I tell you verse 11? Okay. Let's start in verse 11. Paul, Paul obviously is the writer of Galatians. So Galatians chapter 2, verse 11, Paul says, But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. Now that right there, it's bold, but that right there tells you that it kind of goes against the grain of what a lot of people teach in churches today, which is, you know, you're not supposed to rock the boat. Um, if, you know, if, if, if you have a problem, just, you know, keep it between you and the Lord and these kinds of things. But the apostle Paul said he went to Peter because Peter was to be blamed. In other words, he made a righteous judgment that Peter was doing something that was not in line with the Lord. And that is exactly what we read earlier in Matthew 7, what Jesus was talking about. When he said, judge not, it's like, hey, if you're going to be judged, make sure you do it according to the standard of Scripture. That's what I want to be judged by. I don't want to be judged by your superficial standard. Don't tell me I can't jump rope for two minutes so I'm no good. Come on now. You know, judge me by the standard of Scripture because the standard of Scripture tells me, right, that all of sin had come short of the glory of God. And so I must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ in order to be righteous. I'm all about that. And then the, the Bible also tells us that we show our faith by our works. In response to being right with God, we allow the Holy Spirit to continue doing what he started. That's the mark of a believer. Not that we're perfect, but that we are sensitive to the Holy Spirit, and when we get off track, we allow the Holy Spirit to get us back where we need to be. That's the whole thing. And so we, we see this played out here. He said he, he, went to, he went to Peter because Peter was to be blamed. But notice, I want you to notice in the middle of that verse, he said, I went to his face. 
Now, somebody that's not here, they need to hear that, right? Don't be talking to people about behind their back. When there's an issue, go to them. Isn't that the, the shortest distance to resolve a situation is go to somebody's face? Nobody's ever resolved a situation by burning somebody down behind their back. Did you hear what so-and-so did to me? Blah, 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 blah. You know, you didn't help the situation by doing that. Not only did you not help the situation, but you actually began to be the transgressor in God's eyes. Because God's never liked murmurers. You can look at that going back to Egypt. And when the children of God were brought out, their greatest sin was unbelief. The next one, murmuring. Get on God's bad side real quick, even though you think you're the good guy, by murmuring, complaining, right? That's pretty bad. So I, I love that it says here he, he went to his face. So always remember, when you have an issue, you go to their face. And you might hear somebody say, well, you know, whenever you're, whenever you're talking to somebody about a false teaching or something like that, aren't you always supposed to go to the person? Yes. See it? Go to the person. But what if they're in public ministry? Well, if they're in public ministry, they put it out publicly, you can put the rebuke out publicly. But when it's private, you go to them to their face. That's God's standard. That's how God has always been. Now, notice what happens next. Notice what happens next. So he was to be blamed for before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. He's talking about Peter. But when they were come, he withdrew, separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. So what happened? What happened? When the Jews came, he started acting different. You ever known somebody like that? When certain people are around, they act a little bit differently. Come on. I've seen that in churches a lot. You get somebody superintendent to come to their church, they start preaching like they, you know, are revivalists or something. But, but when, you know, in a normal situation, they're not like that at all. What's, what happened? They started acting different when certain people are watching. You see this on your job too, right? Boss is watching. Better walk straight. Why aren't you walking straight anyhow? We shouldn't, we, we shouldn't, and that's in a normal situation, right? Whenever the police officer pulls by, do the seatbelt. Well, you should be wearing the seatbelt anyhow. Police officer pulls by, you're going to slow down. You should be doing the speed limit anyways. But that, and that's in the way that we live our lives, but how much more in our faith, right? How much more in our faith should we be walking in the counsel of God and not wait till there's a situation like that? But you see, Peter is there and he's kind of gotten carried away, but not the way it appears because he's living like the Gentiles, but when the right kind of people are watching, he all of a sudden becomes a different person. Come on now. We all of a sudden becomes a different person when the right people are watching. We all know people like that, right? Oh, I can't do that. My wife's watching. Can't do that. My kids are going to find out. I can't do that. My boss will find out. But when the right people are there, you'll see a different side of them. So what is that? What would we call that? We would call that hypocrisy, right? That's what we would call it. We call it hip hypocrisy. 
Oh, don't be a hypocrite, right? That's what someone is whenever they're speeding and not wearing their seatbelt, and then they see a police officer, they whoa, throw that seatbelt on. Well, if you got pulled over, you'd be saying, well, I've been wearing my seatbelt. Come on now, be honest. So we should be living and walking in integrity in all areas of our life. Agree? We should be living and walking in integrity in everything. And if we're not, ask the Lord why you're not. You don't, it's not rocket science. The Lord will speak if you'll ask. He's alive. He still answers prayer. And the Holy Spirit is still moving and working in our lives. And if there's an area where you just don't understand or you're not sure, ask the Lord. Lord, is this, is this in your will? Is this right? Can you show me in your word where, you know, I should or should not be doing this? The Lord will answer you. It's an amazing thing. This is my favorite part about pastoring, right? I don't have to know everything. I don't know everything, but I know who does. I can take you to him. <laughs> I can take you to him. I can't fix anything, but I know who does. I can take you to him. His name is Jesus. So in this situation here, you see this unfolding, and there's this hypocrisy that's kind of beginning to surface. And the apostle Paul goes straight to Peter's face. You know what that's called? That's actually love. That's actually love. It is. It's love. That's what a true brother or sister in the Lord does for each other. Hey, I love you. I love you, and I know that you don't mean to be doing this, but did you know that you're not wearing your seatbelt when you're driving? Right? So I, now I'm using that as it, but think about spiritual terms, right? I love you, and I know you don't mean to be doing this, but did you realize that you are blah, blah, blah? However those things work out. So that's exactly what the apostle Paul did. And I'll show you this in a minute in the book of Proverbs, but that's... That the, the way that we handle that situation reveals where we are with God. The way that we handle this kind of situation reveals where we are with God. Because, again, you're not perfect. You're perfect in Christ. But you're not perfect. So we're going to have times where we get under conviction. And the part about the Lord is where we're sensitive to the Holy Spirit, where we're walking in the Spirit. So that, that, that you know, in Ezekiel it says that he takes out the heart of stone and he puts in a heart of flesh. That means a heart that is sensitive to the convicting power and influence of the Holy Ghost. So that when, when we begin to tell a white lie to get a promotion... The Holy Spirit can convict us, and then we can go back and say, you know what, let me tell you the truth about that. That's a godly thing to do. That's what godly people do. I'll never forget, I heard a story, I was talking about how before a guy was saved, he, you know, um, his wife asked him to take out the trash on his way to work, but he was in a hurry. He was in a hurry, and don't, don't tell me what to do. I'm in a hurry. Can't you see I got everything in my hand, and you're going to stay here? You just need to do that. And he goes to work, and he never has another thought about it. Then one, one day he gets saved. Same situation. He's in a hurry on the way to work. Wife says, hey, take the trash out before you go to work. Can't you see I'm in a hurry? I got my hands full. You're going to be here all day. Same exact thing. And he drives to work. But then about an hour later, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have done that. And now I got to take an early lunch break. Boss, can I take an early lunch break? I got to go tell my wife I'm sorry. 
What is that? That's just somebody being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. That's somebody allowing conviction to write them. That's the mark of a saint, okay, where we're willing. And the, the longer we walk with God and the closer we get to God, the shorter those times are. See, the closer you get with God, then it may be 30 minutes. Then it may be 15. Then it might be five. Then you might be saying it mid-sentence and go, oh, I shouldn't say that. I'm sorry. Then you might start thinking it and be like, oh, I shouldn't think that. The closer you walk with God and the more you fall in love with the Lord and the more that you're walking in the Spirit, you'll see that time goes shorter and shorter. But that's the mark, right? Are you with me? That's the mark. And, and, and we're going to see that here. But let's, let's deal with the situation. Paul's desire for truth and communion with the Spirit of God compelled him to not, quote, let it go and not let it slide just to keep the peace. Come on, brother. Why are you always stirring up strife? We just need to keep the peace in the church. You know we can't be growing this church in, in, in Antioch if you keep stirring up problems, Paul. Come on, old fuddy-duddy. Paul, holy roller, who you think you are? Can you hear it? This is what's said. When you strive for the truth and you desire people to walk in the sincerity of the spirit, this is what you'll hear. Practice it. You'll find out. Lend your voice to truth. You'll find out. The longer the Lord tarries, the society will get darker and darker, right? And the sad reality is the church, some church, some folks in the church, and some groups in churches will accept more and more of the darkness coming into the church. And this is why it's so important for us to know the truth, know how to handle situations, and know what our responsibility is in it. So here we see. Um, let's let's read, read back here. He said, certain came from James. He did eat with the Gentiles, but when they were come, he withdrew, separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And other Jews, I think this is probably what Paul really got irritated about. He said, other Jews dissembled likewise with him insomuch that Barnabas was carried away with their dissimulation. Now, the word dissimulation, we already gave you the definition earlier in this message. It means hypocrisy. That's what it means. Dissimulation means a hypocrite, hypocrisy. So, Paul is actually saying that Peter was being hypocritical. That's exactly what he's saying. In verse 14, you're going to see his response. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If thou, being a Jew, livest after the manner of the Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? Now, the argument i want i want to touch on the argument okay i want you to see there's a, a bifurcating thing going on right here there's the aspect of how did paul handle this and then the aspect of the truth of the argument that he's using are you with me 
how did Paul handle this is important because if the Lord tarries, you're probably going to need to use this kind of thing in your church or some of your friends because there's, 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 a, there's a need for people to walk in truth. And there, we need more people with a backbone that love God and hunger for sincere truth, right? So how Paul handles this, I want to touch on that just briefly, and then we're going to come back to the argument, okay? So Matthew chapter 18, let's look at how he handled it. Matthew 18. Matthew chapter 18. And, and you know that the apostle Paul, he learned from Jesus. He just learned from Jesus out of time. He learned from Jesus in the desert, he said. How many of you like one-on-one -on -one teaching with Jesus? That's what he got. He learned in the school of Arabia. All right. So Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, Jesus says here, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go, t go and tell him, him, right? Not them. Go and tell him. That's the key. Go. Don't go to Facebook. Don't go to the supervisor. Don't go to the neighbors. Don't go to your friends. Go tell him. You see that? That's a mature saint. Are you going to put on the big boy britches? If we, we're going to walk in the spirit. Sometimes we might not see things. We might have a blind spot. And if somebody truly loves us, they'll point those blind spots out for us in love. That's what Jesus is telling the church to do. Go and tell him. Go tell him. Go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. Listen to this. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. And that's exact, that's what happens here. Peter hears it. How do we know? At the end of 2 Peter, he calls Paul our beloved brother. So between this argument or this situation that's come up and the end, Peter had to swallow his pride. And, and, and here's the thing. Sometimes we have to make decisions about whether we would rather be right with God or hold on to our pride. And I believe if you listen to, you know, our church, our messages, you're one of those people that would rather be right with God. But, the, but do you understand the, the severity and the danger? Because if, if you begin to, you know, let your flesh start feeding again, if you begin to sow to the flesh, you're going to reap of the flesh what? Corruption. So you begin, to, you begin to not walk in the Spirit, not sow to the Spirit, you're going to start getting prideful, you're going to start getting boastful, envious, and then when somebody lovingly brings correction, you're going to say, don't tell me what to do, judge not. And then you're going to be like, oh, wait, I remember that message. I remember that message now. But here's the situation. The experienced professional apostle Peter gets rebuked by this young guy, Paul. 
And he has a decision to make. Do I receive this correction or not? Well, let's look at Proverbs chapter 9. Let's look at that real quick. Proverbs chapter 9. We'll go to verse 8. Proverbs 9 verse 8. So it says here in Proverbs 9, 8. Now I want you to see how things can go, right? Reprove not a scorner. You know what a scorner is? You probably heard that phrase in a movie somewhere, right? Like a, a woman scorned. Is somebody upset? Somebody mad? Don't tell me that, right? Is that, that, uh Somebody scorned is somebody who's bitter or very angry, animated in their animosity. Look what he says, though. Reprove not a scorner, lest he hate thee. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love thee. So here you see how Peter handles this situation, tells whether he's a scorner or wise. And if he's a scorner, he's going to turn and hate Paul. But if he's wise, he's going to love Paul for telling the truth. You see that? He's going to say, I, I don't want to hear that. I, I hate it. I can't believe I allowed this to happen to myself, but I love you. Thank you for telling me the truth. Thank you for shedding light when I began to walk in darkness. Thank you. This is what a true Christian does. We're not perfect. God is. And if we're walking with God, we're going to desire to always be right with him. So how did Peter handle it? Well, okay, we, we're here. We're looking at a scorner. This is somebody who is upset, animosity, don't tell me what to do. I'm going to hate you for telling me that. Have you seen that happen? I've seen it happen in churches before, right? Don't tell me that I can't be, you know, bitter. Well, the Lord says that if you don't forgive others, then God won't forgive you. Amen. I'll never forget somebody getting mad at me for saying you must be born again in order to go to heaven. Don't tell me that. But Jesus said it, not me. I'm just repeating what the Lord says. That's what we're supposed to do. That's what preaching is. It's just the truth on fire. And, and so this happens all the time. And when the truth confronts us, we make these decisions about whether we would rather walk with the Lord or whether we'd rather walk in darkness. And it shows whether we are a scorner or wise. You see that? And a wise person loves correction, loves it, loves it. Do you know that the Bible says that God chastens those whom he what? Loves. God chastens those whom he loves that's in the book of hebrews right what does that mean that means that god will correct his children i remember whenever i read that i, I thought that i love this because when i first got saved first got filled with the holy ghost began walking with the lord how many of you know you don't start out perfect and when you begin to get off track you begin to do things you shouldn't do the lord corrects you 
And I remember the first time, and I I honestly was like, wow, I didn't know that was in there. That was from the Spirit, because it wasn't from my flesh. Because I remember thinking, Lord, thank you for correcting me. Thank you for rebuke. Now, it just is another confirmation that I'm your son. Thank you so much for chastening me. This is what God desires in us, is a heart that's ready, willing, and able to be reproved if necessary. Now, nobody wants to get corrected every day of their life. That's what we call nagging. Nobody wants that. The Lord doesn't do that. It's not about nagging, but it's about there's times in our life that we need some light to walk in or we're going to hit the wall. The Lord loves us. It's like your kid. You correct your kid because if you don't, they're going to break their leg or something. You don't correct a kid just to correct them. It's like, don't touch the stove. It's going to hurt right you correct them because you don't want them to get hurt and the lord sees us in spiritual manner i want you to see this when we begin to get off track spiritually the lord knows we're going to hurt ourselves or somebody close to us when you begin to not walk right with the lord what happens corruption what are the wages of sin the wages of sin not nine out of ten times right it's not like those TV commercials. Nine out of ten times, this blah, blah. The wages of sin, ten out of ten times, is death. So when we begin to allow sin in our life, the Lord loves us so much, he doesn't want us to see, he doesn't want to see us bring corruption and death into our own family, into our own lives, into those around us, into the situations around us, or maybe even into our church. Right? And so that's the desire. Is that we just receive that chastening, that rebuke. Now, let's, let me show you that over in, in 2 Peter, um, the, the last chapter of, of 2 Peter. Let me show you this. And then we're going to go look at the, the actual argument that Paul's getting to. So over here in 2 Peter, I want to show you something. Now, you saw that the wise, the wise will love the reprover, right? If you get reproved and you're wise, you love that person. You might not love it initially, but you'll get to that point where you love them. Right? You know, I really didn't like it when you said that, brother. But I got to thinking about it, and you're right. Thank you. Sounds reasonable, plausible, maybe even a scenario we've experienced. I sure didn't like it when you told me that. In fact, I hated it. But then I started thinking about it, and I reckon you're right, brother. Thank you. That's how it goes. And look, look at what we saw that the, the wise will love that reprover. Look what the Apostle Peter says. I showed you this. I told you. Verse 15. 2 Peter 3, 15. He says, And account that the longsuffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you. What does Peter call Paul? Beloved. He says, our beloved brother. 
He's not because you know if there was a if there was a little dissension, he'd be like y'all's brother. Cause he ain't mine. Yeah, you know y'all's friend, that one y'all always listen to, that guy, y'all's brother Paul. No, he didn't say that. He said our beloved brother Paul. So that tells you there's reconciliation that's taking place. So back into Galatians, now you kind of see this, this, how this goes, but can you envision how this apostle that has walked, talked, ate, slept, went everywhere with Jesus for over three years, he was the one you know, that Jesus specifically took time to make sure he knew that he loved him, after the resurrection, he was the one that preached to the Gentiles for the first time under the Holy Ghost, the first one to preach to the Gentiles in Cornelius' house. He, so he's the apostle. You going to correct me? That's a lot of pride he had to swallow. But he got to the point where he calls Paul beloved. So what is it, what is it and what was the argument that Paul got to? It's the essential of the gospel. Essentially, Paul saw an essential component of the gospel trampled on and he couldn't contain himself. It's kind of like whenever Jesus saw the temple was um, infilled with, um, they were selling sacrifices, the doves and all that, and the money changers. Jesus couldn't handle it. He said the zeal of the Lord's house, it ate him up. He, was, he, he just went to level 10. He started throwing up the money changers tables and kicking over the cages of the pigeons and letting them fly and everybody started getting upset but he was more upset because he was zealous for the lord's house don't you know that the lord's house is a house of prayer but you've made it a den of thieves he's telling this to the people that are going to crucify him and so he got right what we call righteously indignant and that's what more folks need to get today Right? This, this is what the church needs. The church needs its people to get righteously indignant because if we don't, we're going to find ourselves in a situation we don't want to be in. The Lord moves when his people pray, and if we'll get a little fire underneath us, right, we might see the church get back to a place where we're supposed to be. We might see reform come to the church. We might see revival come to the church. We might see a reawakening come to the church. We might see the Holy Ghost poured out on the church like never before. We might see, see something way better than Azusa Street or Ireland or any of those other revivals. We just might see it, but we're not going to see it if we're tolerating sin and if we're tolerating error and if we've got too much pride to get corrected. You know, Leonard Ravenhill, he always said, look, you pray for revival, but you don't know what you're praying for because when revival comes, the sewer water backs up. What does that mean? The sin comes out. You get in revival, you get around the Holy Ghost, you're not going to be able to hold on to your sin. You're going to have to confess it or hit the doors. That's how it goes. And so there has to be this willingness to let go of whatever's not of God. Can you hear that? Are you willing to let go of anything and everything that's not of God? Because that's what I would like to commend Peter for in this See, he was in error. Hey, we all get there sometimes. But he heard it, he received it, and he would rather have God. He would rather have God. 
So let's, let's look back and, 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 and go back into this passage. We'll look at a couple, couple of things in here. Galatians chapter 2, back over there. So P- P- Paul's argument was, you're being a hypocrite. That's the main argument. You're being a hypocrite. When there's no Jews here, you act like a Gentile. But when the Jews come, you pull away. And you act like you're, we would call it better than that. <laughs> you act like you're better than everybody. But before everybody else was here, you was acting like everybody else. So again, he said, when, when you walk not upright according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, if you, if thou, being a Jew, listen to this, you, if you have trouble with Hebrew roots, if you, being a Jew, live after the manner of Gentiles, that tells you right there <laughs> that there was no anything Jewish about any way that he was living. He was living after the manner of the Gentiles, no longer after the manner of the Jews. That kind of squashes a lot of the Hebrew roots debates right there. So he was totally abandoning the Hebraic customs and totally walking in this new faith, this, hey, you've li- you, now you are living like the Gentiles, like all of us. And then look, not as, and, and not as do the Jews. So how was Peter living? He was living like a Gentile and not like a Jew. That's what it says. He says, but if you're doing that, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, what does that mean? We're God's people by our flesh. We're Israel by nature, right? The Gentiles are not. So look, knowing that a man is, there's three knots in here you got to hear. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified, how? By the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. So three times, The Apostle Paul says nobody is justified by the law. And you know this, Peter, because even though we're Jews in the flesh, we're not relying on that to be right with God. Even though we are Jews through and through, we are relying on faith in Jesus to save us, not our flesh and not our works of the law. So, and he reiterates it three times in one verse that it's not by the law. So, if anybody's going to say, I'm Jewish, I can do this, I can do that, uh, you know, I go, to, I go to the temple every week, I, I do every festival, I do every sacrifice, I do this, I do that. If anybody could have done it, it would have been him. But Paul says, look, You know, we're not made righteous because of the law or because of our flesh, but because we believe on Jesus, the faith of Jesus Christ. That is what we rely on. And that truth is what got infringed on. Because when these Jews came, the apostle 
Peter just kind of began doing these works of the Jews. He began getting right back. He probably had his, he probably had the, the blue and white uh, prayer shawl. He probably had the, you know, all that. He probably put all that back on, right? Just a, a day before that, you didn't have any of that on. You wasn't doing all that. You were speaking Greek. Now he's talking Hebrew. What's going on? Well, he's got to get all dignified because he don't want to look bad in front of everybody else. Hold on, Peter. It's not the, this isn't what makes us right with God. This isn't what makes us right with God. And because you're doing this, you're making these Gentiles feel less than. You're making these Gentiles feel like they've got to do something like that in order to be right with God or to be like you. You see, being a leader comes with a cost. You better walk right. If you, come on now. Teachers are going to be judged harsher. You want to lead, you better lead right. That's the deal. So, and obviously, Peter receives this correction. Are you with me? Obviously, he receives this correction. Now, let's, let's finish this out. Verse 17, he said, But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. You want to say you're right with God, and yet you do things like this, you can't say that Jesus approves that. God doesn't give you grace to sin. God forbid. That's what he's saying. Is grace a license to sin? No. What, what Peter was doing was sin. He was dissimulating. He was carrying away other disciples, even Barnabas. Even Barnabas was getting caught up in the dissimulation. Now look what Paul says in verse 18. For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, am dead to the law that I might live unto God. Before Jesus, Peter, Paul, and every other Jew, before Jesus, they built up their own righteousness. Well, I tithe, I give to the poor, I go to the temple or the tabernacle every you know, Saturday, I give sacrifices, I always help out my neighbor, I do this, I do... They were building up their own righteousness because before Jesus, that's all you had. Before Jesus, that's all you had. The sad thing is some Christians still live like that today. They're still trying to live on their own righteousness. Well, I do this and I do that. But Paul said here, if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. In other words, look, when you received Jesus, you let go of everything you had built. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. I'm not going to the cross saying, Lord, I'm, look at all my works. I'm bringing with me to you. Because when you go to Jesus, you say, none of my works were good enough. What you did was good enough. When he said it was finished, that was our works, the necessary works for us was finished. He did them. 
And when we come to the cross, we just say yes to that. We say, amen. Thank you. But, but Paul's saying, if I build again, I'm a transgressor. If I build again that which I destroyed, because in order to come to the cross, you got to let that go. So on the front side of the cross, you got to let go of self-righteousness. And also on the back side. And also on the back side. See, on the front side, you don't go to the cross saying, look what all I've done. But then after you're saved, you don't walk around saying, look what all I've done. You keep saying, on the front side of the cross, you say, hallelujah, look what Jesus did for me. And on the back side of the cross, you say, hallelujah, look what Jesus did for me. There's no dissimulation. There's no hypocrisy. You're the same person. But when we begin to say, well, look what I've done. Don't you know who I am? I do this and this and this for the Lord, and I do this, and, I do, and you should be thanking me because I do this too. Then we've begun to get off track. And Paul said, if I build again that which I destroyed on the front side of the cross, I'm a transgressor. How do you know? Well, look what he says in the next verse. He's dead to the law. The only way you can be made alive to the Lord is to be dead to the law. You can't do both. You can't say, I want Jesus and I'm a law keeper. You have to receive his atoning work, his blood. Now, I, you know, if you've listened to this, you definitely know we're not saying you get off scot-free because once you've been made holy, you live holy. A person that's unwilling to live holy probably hadn't been made holy. Without holiness, come on, Hebrews, without holiness, no man will see the Lord. So you can't say you can do what you want, live how you want because Jesus, no, no. If he made you holy, there will be a desire for you to live holy. You'll desire it. I'm not saying you'll attain it every time, every day, in every way, but you'll want to. You'll want to. You'll, your life will aim to that end. Your, your life will aim to that end. For I, through the law, am dead to the law that I might live unto God. You got to make that decision, which one you want to do. And if you make that decision on the front side of the cross that you're not going to cling to self-righteousness, you best not cling to self-righteousness on the back side of the cross either. Don't come to the Lord telling him what all you've done. Remember the self-righteous guy? Thank you, Lord, that I'm not like that guy. Remember? And then the other guy was over there, and he smote his breast. And he said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. The Lord commended the sinner, not the self-righteous Pharisee. So look, just be, in the way, this is what's important, because when, when you see this, this is so important to see that on the front side of the cross, for Peter to get saved, he had to come to the end of himself and receive Christ's atoning work and blood, right? Believe on his death, his resurrection, and who he is. But on the back side of the cross, you better walk that same way. You better walk that same way. And when he didn't, he started carrying others away and Barnabas, and it got Paul riled up. Then verse 20, it's probably one of the best verses in the Bible. It's just, it's just the plain, good old truth. People put cotton balls in their ears because they don't want to hear it. 
but it's the truth. He said, I am crucified with Christ. Can you say that? Honestly? I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the gospel. And that's the new life. That's the new life. That is that crucified life. And the way that you get in the faith, the same way you walk in it. So a couple of things that I want to touch on as we, um, as, as we wind down in this message. The, um, let me take you to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let me cover something over here. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Well, you know, Pastor, you know, we're not supposed to correct everybody. Yeah, you're not supposed to correct everybody. But when the Lord, when you see something, especially in your own life, right? Because first you got to get that log out of your own eye before you go around inspecting other people, make sure, right, that you're where you need to be. But it's the Word of God that corrects us by the Spirit of God. God uses His Word to bring correction and conviction in our lives. This is why it's necessary to know the Word of God and study it. Look, it's good to read the Word of God devotionally, but you need to study it. That's when it comes alive. So look what Paul says here in, in 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture, come on somebody. Old Testament, New Testament, Gospels, Epistles, Greek, Hebrew, whatever. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. If somebody's not willing to get reproved and corrected by the Word of God, they will never become the person God wants them to be. They'll never come to fullness. They'll never mature in the faith. They'll never become the man or the woman of God that He called them to be. A person unwilling to listen to reproof or correction will not achieve maturity in God. Right? Does it come by osmosis? you got to have that heart like Peter obviously did to say, you know what, Paul, you're right. It, it, it is the scorner that hates it, but it's the wise that loves it. Right? Thank you. Thank you for helping me. I didn't see that. Thank you. Sometimes you get caught up. Sometimes you get off track. So, listen, sometimes you get in a false teaching. Sometimes you get around a false teacher. You know, there's a difference between a false teaching and a false teacher. False teaching is something that may be peddled not knowingly. Maybe somebody just don't know what they're talking about. Right? That's a false teaching. But somebody that gives a false teaching, if they're right with God, they'll get convicted about it, and then they'll say, hey, you know what? That was wrong. I said that wrong. I said that wrong. That lets you know they're not a false teacher. They just, they, they just don't know what they're talking about. That's all. 
but they're not a, quote, false teacher. That just means they have a, they, their heart's right. Okay, hey, I was wrong. I, I was talking about this, and I didn't know this. But a false teacher is someone who won't hear correction. You tell them, hey, you know what? You're saying this, but the Bible says that, and they're like, whatever. They don't hear it. That's a false teacher. Now, J.C. Ryle is one of the Anglican uh, ministers, awesome revivalist guy. He said, no false teacher only gives false teaching. Because for a false teacher to be effective, he has to give a lot of truth. Anybody, you know, if somebody's going to give you just straight up poison, you're not going to drink it. The only way somebody gets deceived in it is when there's enough water and it looks clear. But you have to have the word of God and be willing to be corrected by it with a heart sensitive to the spirit. That's why that's necessary. Are you with me? So the difference between a false teaching and a false teacher is that right there. So there's some false teachings in the world but there's some false teachers that peddled them, and that's the more dangerous side of it. That's the more dangerous side. Um, let's close in um, 2 Peter. Let's go back to 2 Peter real quick. Chapter 2. Let's close here. 2 Peter chapter 2. Let's look at verse 1. Some of the, some of the false teachings, I just, you know, some of the ones that we deal with is, you know, whenever people say that, you're a little God. You're a little God. That's that word faith stuff, right? What are other false teachings? Oh, Jesus has already come. The Bible even talks about that one. That's, you know, when you get into eschatology, there's some serious error that gets in there. You get into the new apostolic reformation. Those are some serious errors in there. The Holy Spirit's like a genie. <laughs> no, he's not. There's a lot of false teachings, but a false teacher won't hear correction. You with me? False teacher won't hear correction. You can take, you can, a false teacher, you can take to them and you can say, hey, look, Jesus didn't burn in hell. The Bible doesn't say it. And they'll be like, blah, 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 blah. They won't hear it. False teacher won't receive correction from their false teaching. Always distinguish the difference because sometimes people are teaching falsely and they don't know it. And when they're corrected, they say, okay, I was wrong. And that's commendable, right? That's commendable. But look at, at 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. Peter said, now he's talking about the Old Testament and then he's going to bring it into the, the, to the church age. He said, but there were false prophets also among the people even as there shall be false teachers among you. Now, you know he's writing this to the church. There's not, it's not that there's false teachers in the world. There's false teachers in the church. He said there's going to be, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privily shall bring in damnable heresies even denying the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. So I'm going to stop right there, but I'll say this, that the false teachers come from inside our camp. False prophets started inside the camp of God. And, and what, Paul, what Peter's saying here is, 
in the same way that false prophets rose from among the ranks in Israel, false teachers will rise from among the ranks in the church. So you can't take, well, you know what? I knew that brother 20 years ago and, you know, quit messing with. Look, people change. You, you have to hold their feet to the word of God. It's not about how sincere they are because how many of you know we can be sincerely wrong? You ever try to correct a kid? You know that. They're sincere, but they could be sincerely wrong. In, in the same way in the church, whenever you deal with things like this or situations like that, it's not about how sincere they are, but it's about what the Bible says and if they're willing to abide by what the Bible says. And we have to say, hey, you know, let's give honor to who honors due. And I think, you know, Peter here, to go from that point of probably getting embarrassed in front of everybody to saying, you know what? Paul is our beloved brother. Our beloved brother. That takes a heart after God. That takes a heart after God. And for that, we could all say, I wish I was like that. You know, I wish I was like that. Instead of getting all prideful, <laughs> don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me what to do. Turning it to saying, thank you. I appreciate it. I, I love you for that, right? Because I didn't see that in the word. I didn't see how I was bifurcating what the word says and what I was doing. And so for that, it's commendable. Amen? All right. Hallelujah.